You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Well, after two and a half years, COVID finally snuck past my defenses. Um, I know many people right now uh, are sick or know someone who is sick with this latest variant. And for a lot of people, it's it's no big deal. They skate right through it. Um, but then there are some people who uh, really have serious complications from it. We've got uh, people in our church who have loved ones in ICU even. And so even though I'm doing pretty well, um, you're going to take my word on that. I know I sound like maybe I'm not, but I'm actually feeling pretty well today. Um, but I'm still choosing to, to quarantine and do my best to follow all of those guidelines. If you got to do a little bit of math to figure that out. As far as I know, I think Monday I will be free to uh, be a part of the world again. Um, but I just want to protect others. I want to encourage you to do the same. And um, as we have this entire time during this pandemic, uh, we're not going to look down on anybody or disrespect anybody if they choose to uh, you know, wear a mask or avoid crowds or, you know, you do what you feel like um, is is necessary for you and your family. And um, I'm excited to be back in person with you next week. Um, but we got to keep, we got to keep going with our series in the book of Acts, right? We've been in this series called Summer Road Trip, where we're following along with Paul as he shares the gospel about Jesus and plants churches all over the Mediterranean world. Um, it takes place in the book of Acts, so if you have a Bible and you want to open up to me, or I know Pastor Kurt's got all of this loaded into the Bible app event for you, but if you've got a Bible, uh, you go to the New Testament and then go past all of the dudes, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, go past those guys, and then you're going to hit the book of Acts, and we are in chapter 18 today. Um, before we get to our text, there, there are several things that take a good road trip and make it a great one. The first is a playlist, right? You have to have some hits for the road. Uh, you know, maybe it's American Pie or uh, Life is a Highway, right? You got, I mean, that's a jam. You've got, um, what do you got? Sweet Home Alabama. I don't know. What are, what are some of your favorite tunes when you're on the road, or maybe you're not a music person. You've got a a playlist of podcast episodes that you've been meaning to catch up on, and when you're on the drive, that's the best time. So first ingredient, you got to have a good playlist. Second ingredient of a good road trip is you got to have some snacks, right? Something sweet, something salty, uh, and then you wash it all down with a big gulp of sugary, caffeinated goodness, Right? This is the way. This is how we do it. Um, so we're going to take a little pit stop this morning. We have covered a lot of road, a lot of miles with Paul in this series. And I think it's time we stop for a second and kind of refuel ourselves for the next leg of the journey. Um, so as I'm speaking, the hosts and the ushers are going to be coming through the congregation. Uh, and we've got a little bit of trail mix for you to enjoy today as you're watching this message 
Uh, I don't have any Mountain Dew for you. I'm sorry. Uh, there is free coffee, though, down in the lobby. And I'm not even there to see if you get up and walk out to go get some more, right? You can't offend me because I can't see you. So you can make a face at me if you want, and you can get up and you can go get some extra coffee or water. Um, and you can enjoy that trail mix now as you watch this message, or uh, you can save it for, for later. That's your call. Uh, but I hope you enjoy that trail mix as this week we are stopping in the city of Corinth. Uh, normally this is where I would show you a map, right? But you're going to have to just imagine that this morning. Uh, Corinth is just a, a few miles west of Athens. And at this point, I think the question for Paul has to be, when does it get easier? Right? He, he's been heckled, beaten, imprisoned, ran out of several towns. Like, when are things going to let up? When will the journey get lighter? You ever ask that? I know several people in our church are probably asking that right now. God, I feel like I've been faithful to you. I feel like I've done what you've asked me to do. And yeah, there's been some victories along the way. There's been some things to celebrate. But man, it's been hard. And it's been more up and down than just up, up, up. And and I know there are several people in our church that are probably wondering, when does it get easier? In fact, if you're not asking that question, I'm, I'm asking it for you. Well, unfortunately, Corinth is not going to be a rest stop for Paul. It's not going to get any easier yet. See, in Paul's day, uh, Corinth was quite a boom town. It was rapidly growing and expanding. But it had also gained quite a reputation. Um, None of the towns that Paul visited were particularly moral. That is why Christians tended to stand out from the crowd. But Corinth was on another level. The other cities actually thought Corinth was wicked. In fact, they would use Corinth as a pejorative. They would say things like, to be a Corinthian or to Corinthianize someone meant to sexually use them and abuse them. Right? To be a Corinthian was to be promiscuous or to even be a prostitute. That was the reputation of the city. Now, where did that reputation come from? Well, it largely came from this temple at the top of what was known as the Acro-Corinth. Again, if I could show you a picture, I would. But this huge rock fortress, and on the top of that was the temple to Aphrodite. Now, what was Aphrodite the god of? Do you know? Yeah, if you said love, you got it right. She's the goddess of love, but she's also the goddess of beauty, of pleasure, and of fertility. And so one of the ways they worshipped Aphrodite was through hundreds, if not thousands, of what they considered sacred prostitutes that would come down from the temple at night and make quite a bit of money engaging with the locals and all of the men and women who came off the boats in this port city. That's Corinth. That's the city where Paul, who, by the way, is unmarried, and is a formerly strict Pharisee Jew, that's the city he's walking into. Talk about 
culture shock. Talk about temptation, right? And I tell you all this, if you're ever reading First and Second Corinthians, or maybe you're at a wedding this summer, and the pastor stands up before the bride and the groom and starts reading First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, keep in mind that background. There was a reason Paul had to work so hard on this topic and had to redefine love for the people of Corinth. Okay, but we're not in Corinthians. That's the letter he wrote them later. We are in Acts. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. I'm going to take a quick drink here. All right. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, where he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So what do we know? Uh, We know that persecution is breaking out against the Jews. Claudius, who is the emperor at the time in Rome, he's kicked all of the Jews out in 49 AD. Now, why did he do that? Well, if you remember kind of the unofficial uh, posture of the empire towards other religions was that you could pretty much worship however you wanted, whoever you wanted, as long as it didn't interfere with the economic and and political stability of the Roman Empire. Oops. (laughs) That is exactly what the message of Jesus starts to do. Everywhere it spreads, it starts causing problems. There's arguments and divisions among Jews. There's cities that are are rioting against Christians. you know, and so Claudius eventually in 49 AD says, okay, enough already. You could take your little interreligious squabble elsewhere and get out of my city. And so Aquila and Priscilla are kicked out. They, they leave Rome and they settle in, in Corinth. Now, it's not clear if they were already followers of the way, if they already knew about Jesus or not. Um, but they're new in town. So my guess is they're looking for friends. And they share a common hobby, actually a way of making a living, with the Apostle Paul. Uh, They, like Paul, are are tent makers. That was Paul's trade of choice. And so you can imagine them getting to know one another, working side by side as they are braiding and sewing goat's hair together and making these large tent flaps and sewing those together and selling them in the marketplace together. And they become really close Friends, in fact, as we'll see at the end of this section, they actually leave with Paul uh, from Corinth. That's how close they become. But just imagining them working together, it, it reminded me of something that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See, Paul was not a green room pastor. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, Because of technology, because of of the consumeristic and individualistic nature of of our society, it's become very easy, probably easier than ever, to minister to people from a distance. Um, You can... You could write messages and books and speak and even grow a pretty large following of a large church without ever 
getting to know people and, and without them ever getting to know you. That was not Paul's method. Uh, and it wasn't Jesus's either. Right? Jesus spent time shoulder to shoulder with people. We, we talked last week about the importance of understanding the marketplace if you're going to reach the marketplace. Well, one of the ways Paul did that was through his day job of tent making. Um, now, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm pretty grateful to be a full-time pastor. I don't have a second job uh, right now. And not only does that allow me to devote all of my time and energy uh, to our church, but uh, I also have no real practical skills of use. So I'm not sure. Like if I had to be a tent maker, I think my family would probably starve. Uh, so I'm really grateful to, to minister in the time and in the day that I do. Um, but the challenge of that, the, the challenge for full-time pastors is we've got to work extra hard at finding ways to get out of the office, to get out of the books and the library and the church building and get shoulder to shoulder in the marketplace with real people. Because effective ministry requires proximity. Okay, if you're in the Bible app, that's in there. If you want to write it down, I want to say that again. Effective ministry requires proximity. Can you do ministry from a distance? Sure. There's some stuff that can be done that way. But you've got to be involved in the community of the people you're trying to reach. That is where effective ministry takes place. I mean, that's what Jesus did, right? Um, I, I love the message translation of John chapter 1, verse 14, where it's talking about the incarnation. It's talking about how Jesus left heaven to come to earth. And, and the message translation says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Don't you love that? God moved into our neighborhood. He didn't just minister to us from a distance. He got face to face, shoulder to shoulder with us. The best ministry happens in proximity when we not only share the gospel, but we share our lives together. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 4. It says, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So we've seen this on our trip before. This whole shaking the dust off uh, is, is a Jewish way of kind of washing your hands of a situation. It's your way of saying, you know, look, I've done my part, uh, but I, I'm going to move on. Right? And here's why that's important to do. Here's why we've got to learn how to do that well. Okay, Verse 7. It says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius, Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. This, this is wild, okay? Do you catch where this church started? Please don't do this. 
Okay, I'm not there to hear what kind of conversations happen after this sermon. So just please, this is funny to me, but don't do this. Paul, (laughs) he leaves the synagogue frustrated, rejected, and he starts a church where? Literally right next door to the synagogue. And who is the first member but the synagogue leader, right? The, basically the pastor of the other church. He, he goes from leading the Saturday Bible study at synagogue to showing up and, and making the coffee at Paul's house church. I bet his wife and his kids are door greeters and running the sound, right? I mean, it doesn't say that, but maybe, um, you know. The, the, the leader of this other synagogue becomes the first member of this church, and other people follow his lead. It says many, uh, many believed and were baptized. That is, that is crazy, right? So how, how might we connect this to our lives? Well, uh, <laughs> please don't read this and think, you know, I think the application is that I should start a church at Newfelds. I should leave Mountain View and, and plant a church across the street. I don't think that's the right takeaway. Um, but, but maybe we should take inventory of our energy. Right? Where are we spending a lot of energy, spiritually speaking, on, on, for the sake of the gospel, for planting seeds of the gospel? And how fruitful are those efforts? Right? Are we seeing fruit? Is it, is it a productive uh, use of our time or our energy? Or are we facing rejection and, and kind of closed doors like we've talked about before? Um, because if Paul didn't shake out the dust, okay, if, if Paul got stuck on people who didn't want his help, then he might not have very much left in the tank for people who really do want his help. Okay, I'm just going to going to leave that alone. I'm just going to trust that someone needed to hear that today. And, and like Paul, I'm going to move on. Um, but sometimes we got to just shake, shake the dust off and keep going, right? Verse 9. All right, let me get another drink here. Verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. I think Paul was just gassed at this point, right? I mean, there's been conflict in city after city, division everywhere. That will run you down. That will exhaust you. And he's asking, when will it get easier Right? Will this ever end? Um, I don't know about you. I, I think if I was Paul, I'd be tempted to just call it good, right? Like, God, I've, I've gone all these places. I've, I, look at all I've done for you. I mean, look at the churches that we've started. Look at the names of all of these people who have found faith in Christ and who have been baptized. And I, I think, you know, I think it's time for me to hand off the baton and find a warm spot somewhere on the Mediterranean and kick up my feet a bit and retire. Um, I think that's what Paul might be, might be wrestling with. But he keeps going. He keeps going. Why? 
Right? What fuels Paul? Well, simply put, he hears the voice of God. God says, don't be afraid. Paul, I'm with you. Keep speaking out. Keep going. Now, God says no one will attack you and harm you. Uh, And I have to think it's the second half of that that was the promise because the truth is he will be attacked. That's the very next thing that happens in our story. But it's true that he won't be harmed. That's a promise from God. And Paul receives that. He believes it. He believes that God is with him. And he keeps going even in the middle of some of his longest and hardest days of the journey. So listen, I I don't know what everyone's going through. Um, I am aware of several really difficult, demanding, exhausting situations, heartbreaking situations in our church. But I know that there's a lot of things that I don't even know that are happening. And I just, I want you to hear God's voice this morning. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. Keep going. Keep going. Verse 12. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. <laughs> I thought he said he wasn't going to be attacked. He's attacked right here. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. <clears throat> Just as as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galilee showed no concern whatsoever. <laughs> uh, this scene reminds me of another trial. Right? It reminds me of the trial of Jesus, where you have the Jewish leaders and the, and the Jewish crowd on the one hand wanting Jesus to be put on trial, wanting Jesus to be killed for his crimes. And then you have the Roman governor on the other trying to figure out if Jesus has even done anything worth trying. Um, and, and kind of their, this back and forth. Galileo, the, the Roman proconsul, he, he doesn't just you know, tell them to settle the matter themselves. He kicks them out of the court. Right? It says he drove them off. That had to be really embarrassing for the Jewish leaders, for the, for the people there. And so you can imagine that all of the anxiety and the anger that they had coming into the court has only grown, right? It, things are about to hit the roof. And, and when we're in that zone, right, when our emotions take over and our anger and anxiety are just way up here, um, our emotions have to go somewhere. Someone has to, we, we either process them or we project them. And, and too often we project them at the wrong target. 
And so remember Jason, right? Remember Jason a couple weeks ago? He was the man in Thessalonica that when they couldn't find Paul, they grabbed Jason and they drag him out and blame him for everything. Every every mob needs a scapegoat. If we don't deal with our anger and our anxiety, um, we will project it. Someone has to catch the blame for how we're feeling. And in this case... It's a man named Sosthenes, right, Sosthenes. Now, it's not clear who's giving the beat down here. Um, Is it the Romans who are just frustrated at the Jews in general and are are, are causing this fight? Um, Or is it the Jews? Had had Sosthenes, you know, taken a step towards converting to the way of Jesus? Or or maybe maybe it's a mixture of both. That, that's my guess here, honestly. Again, riots aren't rational. My guess is the Jews and the Romans, everybody is just fighting and, and groupthink is taking over and it's just a big old mess, right? It, does, it doesn't say. But I want you to check something out. This is awesome. This is cool. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. That's the letter that Paul would later write back to the followers of Jesus in Corinth. Right, and here, here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sosthenes. So, okay, <laughs> let, let me get this straight. The guy who first led the charge against Paul eventually becomes a leader in the church. He becomes a part of Paul's team on the next leg of the journey, so much so that Paul includes him as a, as a brother, lists him in this letter as a brother. That is, that's just unbelievable. I don't have words for that. How does that happen? Well, My bet is that once the Greeks turned him down and the Jews beat him down, he had no one else to turn to. Right there's Sosthenes. He's he's rejected and hurting and alone and humiliated. And my guess is Paul looks over at him and says, I've been there. Lots of times. And in Paul, he finds a friend. And in the early Jesus movement, he finds a family. And Sosthenes becomes a brother in Christ, a brother of the church. Can't make this stuff up. Almost done. Verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at at Centria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. So just a couple things to point out as we, as we wrap up this morning. Um, there's no doubt at this point that Priscilla and Aquila are like a power couple. 
Uh, in Romans 16, Paul actually mentions a bunch of people by name and, and calls them out for their efforts. Uh, and in their case, he says, um, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, for they risked their lives for me. <clears throat> Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So Priscilla and Aquila are, are risk-taking cross-cultural missionaries, just like Paul. And we're going to see their partnership and their leadership on, on full display as we move on next Sunday. But I want you to notice the order of their names here. This is significant. Um, it, it lists Priscilla first. At, at the beginning of the chapter, it was Aquila, then Priscilla. Now it's Priscilla, then Aquila. That's unusual. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, really in any ancient culture, uh, the husband's name always came first. And a lot of times the wife's name wouldn't even be listed, wouldn't even be mentioned. But, but that's not true here. In fact, their names are mentioned six times in the New Testament. And of those six, three times Priscilla's name is listed first. And the other three, Aquila's name is listed first like 50-50. And so in, in Priscilla and Aquila, you see more of what we've pointed out along the way a few times now, that, that the early church really pushed the boundaries of, of gender equality and, and mutuality. Um, just it's a stark contrast to the rest of the culture in that day, right? But in Romans, Paul says that they, Priscilla and Aquila, they, not just him, are Paul's co-workers. And that is, that is significant. Um, the last thing I need to talk about is this haircut. Right? On his way out of town, Paul stops at this port city of Centria and, and gets a little a trim. Actually, he gets a, a full-on shave. And uh, I've been thinking that it's time for me to, to you know, stop fighting the battle and, and join Paul, probably. Um, what's this about? It says he cuts his hair because of a vow. Um, Scholars are a little perplexed. There, there are parts of this that don't make sense um, that we don't understand. Um, but the most logical conclusion is what's happening here is the end of what's known as a Nazarite vow. So in the Old Testament, if you want to read about this in Numbers chapter 6, um, men would, um, on, on their own free will, would take what's known as a Nazarite vow. They would... Um, you know, they would shave their heads. That's the important thing to remember. There was lots of other things that they were supposed to do as well. Uh, but they would shave their heads at the beginning of this promise made to God. And then when the time was up or when they had fulfilled that promise or, or um, their, their mission was complete, for, for example, uh, then they would, they would shave their heads and, and start over. And so the most likely explanation is that Prior to coming on this journey, Paul took some kind of vow before God, uh, promising to stay holy, which would not have been easy as, as a single man in a place like Corinth, um, probably asking God to, to move in a powerful way among them, that the gospel would take root. And, and that's exactly what's happened. Um, he, he stayed true to the Lord. He's, many people have come to believe and be baptized. And so as he leaves... He gives glory to God and he heads back home to Jerusalem with a shaved head. 
because his vow is complete. And remember, what's the, what's the beef back in Jerusalem and in Antioch about Paul? A lot of people believe that Paul is light on the law, that he's a lawbreaker or that he doesn't believe the law matters. And now here comes Paul going back home with a shaved head, which was a part of this, this, this vow, this Jewish law requirement. It's a symbol of obedience that they would not have mistaken. So this marks the end of Paul's second journey as he heads home back for a brief rest and he's going to visit some of the old churches and he, he's not going to stay long. He's going to take off again and we're going to start the third journey uh, next week and, and I hope you'll join me for it. Um, but before we do that, let me pray for us as the worship team comes. Pastor Betsy's going to come and prepare us for communion, but um, let's, let's go to the Lord together. Thanks for listening today. Well, God, obviously this was not the, uh, the circumstances that I thought this message would take place when I woke up this week. Um, but that you aren't surprised by this, and I'm grateful for the technology to still be able to uh, be with our church, even if it's not that proximity that I think real ministry requires, Lord. Um, thanks for uh, walking me through this week rather uh, unscathed. And uh, just pray for all those who are sick, Lord. I pray that, that you would just touch their bodies and anoint them with, with your Holy Spirit uh, and, and help them to get back to full health, Lord. Um, God, would you help us to, to get shoulder to shoulder with the people that we're trying to reach for you? Um, would you help us monitor our energy so that we're using it wisely for you to shake the dust off where we need to and move on? Um, and Lord, may, may we just, you know, as Paul vowed, he made a vow of holiness. He made a vow of, of obedience to you, Lord. And I, I just pray that we would be pursuing you with that same sincerity, um, that same hunger to stay true to you and to stay mission for you. And even in the hardest moments of our journey to know that you are with us that we can keep going, Lord. Help us to never give up. Thank you for your grace as we celebrate communion this morning. Thank you for what you did for each one of us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.